Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. We are opening the phones. They're wide open for you today because we're just generous today. The phone number is 877-973-7425 if you want to be on the program. I'm going to try to go to Steve now. Uh, Steve, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing good. Sorry about the confusion there. I had a buddy needed help. Helping Not hand at work real quick there. Okay. You sounded distracted and I didn't want to hang up on you. Uh, I appreciate that. Really, I really do. Uh, my question has to do with uh, Trump and his feelings or what he believed as far as the stolen election. Uh, I myself, during that time frame, you know, after going through all the uh, Russia, Russia stuff with the Democrats and and then the COVID coming in and, and all that and the, the mail-in ballots and all these different things, it wasn't too hard to believe that maybe the Democrats did try to steal the election. Now, of course, there was not enough evidence found, but I was wondering what Donald Trump actually thinks, what, if, what he believes about the election, if he really does believe it's stolen or if he's just trying to stir up crap. Yeah, look, um, I think a lot of people think the election was stolen, and I, I've got a, a friend of mine who thinks I downplay it too much. And, and I, I will say I do downplay it because I think there were nefarious things that happened in the election, but I'm also mindful there's a legal standard that has to be met, and no one has proven it happened to the legal standard. And if you can't prove it right. happened to the legal standard, uh, then you can't prove the election was stolen, so move on. But yes. my, my sense is, from what we saw last night in the, the January 6th stuff, what I know privately and, and the like, I think actually do believe Donald Trump was convinced by friends that the election was stolen. Um, he was convinced there's no way Sleepy Joe could beat him and that he the election must have been stolen. Uh, part of it, I do right. think, is pride. He can't acknowledge he lost. Um, but once you start from that point of, I can't acknowledge that I lost, uh, then you begin absorbing all of the evidence to back up your case. And I run into this all the time with people who are convinced the election was stolen. Uh, I, I try to explain to people that I do concede, believe, and know bad things happened in the election. What the other side has a hard time understanding is that that happens in every single election, typically at the local level, not mass coordination. No one can keep a secret anyway, so it's hard to do it at the mass coordination level, but there's a legal standard that has to be met. And this is where people say, oh, well, you're just you're trying to rub in your lawyer and you think you know more. No, I'm actually trying to say there is a legal standard you have to meet and no one's met the legal standard to throw out the election. Yes, there were things that happened. I see no point in dwelling on those things that happened because they always happen. And no one has shown that they amounted to enough to throw out the election. People have been arrested for uh, trying to stuff ballots. Republicans have been elected, not just Democrats. It's, it's a two-way street here. It's not like the Republicans are the virtuous saints here. They do it too. And typically they do it in a way that offsets each other and typically they get caught. But you've got to meet a legal standard that no one has met. The problem here 
is that neither Donald Trump nor his core supporters are willing to acknowledge there's a legal standard that have to be met. And they think because they can find A, B, and C, well, then the rest of the alphabet of, of crimes must be there as well. That's not the way the law works. That's not the way any of this works. Take, for example, the true the vote situation in Georgia where they claim they have someone who has the evidence to show that there were ballot harvesters in the state. You're absolutely right. There were ballot harvesters in the state of Georgia. Democrats collect people's ballots. It's against the law. But unless you can catch them, you can't throw out a legal ballot. Even if you caught the ballot harvesters, the person's ballot is still legal and the police would give it back to that person and let them cast it themselves. But when they said they had this person who had the evidence, they refused to hand the person over to the police. They refused to provide the police the person's name. They refused to disclose the identity. They refused to have this person sit down for an interview. If you're going to say you've got a witness and you won't provide the witness, you don't have a witness. Now, the people who think the election was stolen, Donald Trump included, think that the police refused to investigate. Actually, Vic Reynolds, the head of the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, I speak from this one with knowledge of it, tried to get a hold of the witness to interview the witness, and they refused to provide any identifying information about the witness so that, that he could be interviewed or she could be interviewed. Now, don't blame the police and don't blame Brian Kemp and don't blame Brad Raffensperger. Blame Donald Trump supporters who say they have a witness and refuse to hand them over because they didn't want the person to be harassed. I'm sorry, but if you're going to come forward and say you're a witness to something, you might get harassed. The police will try to protect you, but you might. Don't waste your time if you're too scared to do the right thing. Donald Trump, unfortunately, surrounded himself with people after the election who told him only what he wanted to hear. We get this all the time from people who call the program. Well, you know, uh, who's to say you aren't surrounded with just what you want to hear? Well, yeah, okay, maybe I am, except I've gone out of my way to evaluate their evidence as well. Uh, I sat down and watched, unfortunately, 2,000 Mules. Many of the people who watched 2,000 Mules and bought it never sat down to consider the contradictory evidence. I did. I try to be as even-handed as I can. But, you know, inevitably, it's older women. It's not older men. It's always older women are the most angry with me for anything I say critical of Donald Trump must be because I'm an ever-Trumper, even though I wound up supporting him. Even though, you know, I've met him and talked to him on the phone regularly, and none of these old blue-haired angry women ever have. Um, and yet they're convinced that I must hate the man, uh, and everything I say is from hatred as opposed to I actually know what I'm talking about, and they're in a cult. But that's the problem. Donald Trump surrounded himself with a bunch of old, angry people who decided the election was stolen. They couldn't discern what was true and what was false, and they gave him a lot of nonsense. And some of those people are going to go to jail, and some of them are going to lose their law licenses, including Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani. In fact, we know now from the January 6th stuff that the moment Rudy Giuliani was put in charge, Jared Kushner walked away and Mick Mulvaney washed his hands of it all as well and said, if you're going to rely on people like that and Peter Navarro and the MyPillow guy who has an imaginary friend, literally has an imaginary friend, I think it's the MyPillow guy has the imaginary friend, um, the, these people have no credibility. It's time to move on. So... That's a long way of saying, yeah, Donald Trump really believes the election was stolen because he was surrounded with people who would only give him that information. And when anyone provided him the information that it was not stolen, they were shut out, including Bill Barr, the attorney general of the United States. 
But I thank you for your phone call there. And I don't want to get into stolen election stuff with you guys. I'm happy to take other phone calls on other stuff. 877-973-7425. Charlie will weed you out if you try to call in and, and, and uh, relive the past. I'm ready to move on to the future. Unfortunately, we have to talk about the Uvalde situation. There are more and more, more and more reports are coming out about what happened in Uvalde. I'm not here to talk about gun control. Gun control is not going to happen. They may raise the age to buy a rifle to 21. I don't honestly care. In all honesty, I I, I question the constitutionality of it. Look, if if you can vote at, at 18, you can join the military at 18. I personally think you should be able to buy a rifle at 18. And I do think if they raise the age to 21, that your parents should be able to buy a rifle and give it to you even though you're younger than 21 because in the South in particular, young men go with their fathers hunting. I don't think it'll be as as closed loop as the Democrats want. But I'm not here to talk about gun control because what I do believe is that a lot of the gun control laws that would be put in place would not solve all the shootings. You forget, I think some people do, that the Columbine shooting happened during the assault weapons ban. The Columbine shooting was the most prolific, horrific school shooting in the country until the more recent ones. And it happened at the time of the assault weapons ban. One of the things that happened that made Columbine so bad is that the police did not charge into the building to stop the shooters. They formed a perimeter around the school. They kept people out. They wanted to secure the perimeter before they went in to confront the shooters. And that caused more lives to be lost. And after that, there was a new playbook that was developed. And that playbook was all about uh, storming the schools and confronting the shooters and taking the shooters out. And you, the police officer, put your life on the line every day, and you may get shot in the process of confronting the shooter, but it's your job. And ever since then, the police have as quickly as possible stormed the building to stop the shooters until the situation a couple of weeks ago in Uvalde, Texas. We now know the police refuse to do what every school shooting in the country and every textbook example of school shooting lessons have said you should do, storm the building and stop. They stormed the building. They just refused to confront the shooter for an hour. They wanted better gear. They wanted more manpower. And the man held up at a classroom killing kids and the police waited for an hour. It was a major dereliction of duty. And we now know some of the police encouraged the ranking officer on the scene to let them storm the building, and he declined. It was a massive dereliction of duty. We know now that the teacher who died bled out on the way to the hospital died in the ambulance, that had she been given medical care sooner, she might have survived. We know now that several of the students were alive in the classroom and probably would have lived had they gotten medical attention sooner, but the police waited. We know now that when the police finally came in, they called out to students to identify themselves that they were safe, and that gave the shooter new targets to shoot and kill before they shot and killed him. 
Everything they did was a disaster. The police, they handled it badly. Now, we have a problem in this country with nuance these days. When I tell you these things about what the police in Uvalde, Texas do, people call in and get angry and think I'm attacking police. I'm not. I'm telling you what happened. I'm telling you these police, not all police, screwed up. I'm telling you it wasn't even all of these police. It was the people in charge who screwed up. And the other police followed orders. And those orders led to the loss of life. There are now allegations based on the statements that were recorded in 911 audio that some of the children might have accidentally been shot in the police gunfire as they were shooting the shooter. That is not confirmed but appears to be the case in the audio. What we do know is the shooter was outside for about a dozen minutes shooting before he even went into the school. People in the school never closed and locked the doors. That was a tragedy. It really was a tragedy. And yes, the people who are opposed to guns will make the case that gun control could have stopped it. Maybe a waiting period could have done something. Maybe raising the age could have done something. Maybe. But what we also know for certain is, had they closed and locked the school doors when the guy stood outside for a dozen minutes shooting, they probably could have stopped the shooting. Had the police stormed the building and immediately confronted the shooter, they probably could have mitigated, minimized the loss of life. There are lots of woulda, shoulda, couldas in a tragedy like this. But I don't think what we should do is spend so much time on the left's narrative that we have to ban guns when we're never going to do that, that we avoid also asking what other things could have been done differently. Because there are a lot of them, and they relate to making schools safer, making doors stronger, making police more responsive, providing more tools, equipment, and manpower in schools to protect against these situations. The other day, there was a shooting in a New York school where someone fought with a public safety officer at the school and then tried to go into the school and was shot and killed. He apparently had malicious intent. You will notice that the media hasn't given much attention to that story because the person did not go in and kill a bunch of kids. He was stopped from doing so, his own life taken from him. Had that happened in Uvalde, Texas, we would not be having this conversation about school shootings and gun violence right now. The unfortunate, sad reality is that the media highlights the school shootings to demand that there's gun control, and they never want to highlight the situations where the shooter never gets into the school because that would undermine their argument that the only solution is gun control and might make us have to realize there are other solutions, other opportunities, other paths we can go to secure schools and protect kids without violating people's constitutional rights. Like with access to energy in this country, the media and the Democrats like to shape a narrative that is devoid of context and leaves out key details so they can get their way as opposed to something that's practical. There are a lot of options out there. If you're a self-starter and you want to invest on your own, it can be really confusing. And I'm delighted to tell you about SoFi because that's who I use. And now I've got them as an advertiser. If you're a SoFi user, uh, my gosh, you get all sorts of options, great research. You get the ability to invest in stocks, EFTs, crypto, plan out your retirement. Uh, more importantly, you got people you can call on. I mean, for example, um, I can use SoFi to buy stocks and EFTs and do the deep dive research if I need to and get complimentary financial 
planners ready to help answer questions? Uh, you can too, whether you're stuck on where to start or need help deciding what to do next. You can even save for retirement with traditional Roth and SEP IRAs. They have so many options. If you're into crypto, you can also explore crypto. They've got 30 available coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, Solana, Dogecoin, and so much more. But more importantly, they've got the number one ranked automated investment tool, their robo-advisor. It takes the stress out of building and managing a diversified portfolio without having to pay a bunch of experts to do it. I really like SoFi. Y'all, I've tried, you name it, and I probably tried it. And I settled on SoFi and think you will like it as well. Cut through the jargon, make investing easier with SoFi. Visit SoFi.com slash Eric to learn how you can win up to $1,000 in stock when you open an account. That's SOFI.com slash Eric. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC. Member FINRA. Recipic. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I want to go to the phones. I want to go to Ken. Welcome to the program, Ken. Ken, you there? Yeah, I'm here. How are Hi you? There. How are you? I'm very good, Eric. Long God, time no on? here. Uh, now you from way back, Mount Pisgah days. Oh, wow. Yeah, way back. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, there was another shooting in Texas last week, a uh, week ago yesterday, the Collins family. Are you familiar with that? I'm not sure. Family of five? I was on vacation. Okay. Uh, family of five, grandfather, Mark Collins, age 66, was taking his uh, four grandsons. Three of them, uh, there was Waylon, uh 18, uh, Carson, age 16, and uh, Hudson, age 11, uh, and their cousin, Bryson, to the family okay, farm happened? for the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was an escaped uh, prisoner. He was a uh, illegal alien in the country for several years. He had come into the country. He was a member of the Mexican drug cartel, part of the Mexican mafia, they call it. He had come into the country to uh, basically do a hit on someone that owed the uh, cartel money and uh, apparently killed him with a pickaxe. So Gosh. he was a ruthless killer. And, and then he had committed another murder in the meantime. So he's serving a life sentence in a Texas penitentiary. All right, Kim, we got about uh, he was, 30 seconds he here. Yeah. Uh, he has been transported and escaped back in May. He had been on the run for about three weeks. Anyway, the family was going up to the family farm for the weekend, uh, the grandfather and the uh, four grandsons, and apparently he was uh, lying in wait for them at their family farm Good in the Lord. farmhouse and uh, murdered all of them. And the press basically covered it by saying he used a AR-15 assault-style weapon to kill them. Good grief. Wow. Uh, look it up online. Uh, if you go to the, uh, actually, the funerals will be uh, tomorrow on Saturday okay. for all family members. I, I, and if I, you go I to will, Klein. I'll, I'll check that one out. I got to let you go there. Uh, took a little long to get there. I, I got to go to a commercial break here, but I will, I'll check that one out. Um, good grief. So a guy who didn't legally get a gun, um, and that's part of the problem here. Uh, all the legal people will hand in their guns and all the bad guys will keep them. All right, listen, uh, we got a lot of people who want to talk, and I want to talk to them, but I got to do some due diligence here. The president of the United States has spoken. 
Uh, he's talked about the economy. I need to play you some of his audio just so I can do due diligence. And there's a problem here with what he said. Today's inflation report confirmed what Americans already know. Putin's price hike is hitting America hard. Gas prices at the pump. Energy and food prices account for half of the monthly price increases since May. Inflation outside of energy and food, what the economists call core inflation, moderated the last two months. Not enough, but it moderated. It's come down. And we need it to come down much more quickly. My administration is going to continue everything we can to lower the prices to the American people, and the Congress has to act, and they have been of late. Blaming Vladimir Putin for this is just not a good look for this administration at this point. They seem to be scapegoating everybody. They refuse to take any blame. Well, he's labor from forehead to the tip of his toes. He used to run the laborers out for the union. Look, folks, um, today I'd like to speak about my top economic priority, fighting inflation. I understand Americans are anxious, and they're anxious for good reason. I was raised in a household when the price of gasoline rose precipitously. It was the discussion at the table. It made a difference when food prices went up. But we've never seen anything like Putin's tax on both food and gas. Blame, blame, blame Putin. Blame, blame, blame Putin. That's about all he can do. Uh, Jim Cramer has had enough. Look, they hate fossil fuels. And a lot of the numbers that I think Brian's really good, but a lot of the numbers he talked about are not true. I mean, we're not producing as much as we did under President Trump. Uh, the idea that it's European, uh, that it's the Europeans that are causing natural gas to go up a lot isn't true. We just were unprepared for this particular moment and don't have enough pipelines. Uh, look, they hate fossil fuels. They don't want, they don't want to go to the Permian and be seen with, with Scott Sheffield from Pioneer. They just don't want to do it. They think it's a really bad thing for their, for the election. It's not, it, it, but it would help the, the, you know, they're a little backward. If they made a deal with the so-called devil to be able to move the forward curve to say, guys, you got to start producing much, much more. Oil would drop. They'd work with their refiners to try to figure out how to get more production. But David, these are dirty companies. And they don't, yeah, it's they better no, to mean, not be they, seen listen. with them. They are making efforts to obviously reduce their carbon footprints. All the majors have the ambition of being carbon but neutral. But did you ever That's hear Biden say one that? And two, by the way. Have you heard Biden say, you know what, they're doing things and I want to break bread with them? Have you heard him say that? No. 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 No, I it's haven't. like they're doing nothing. Um, it's like the little companies from the 70s. He is not in touch be, with business. There should be a more, a more robust dialogue. I yeah. Again, energy prices. Uh, the Dow is down 729 points right now. NASDAQ down 370 points. The S&P 500 down 100 points. If they just started pulling oil out of the ground or letting companies do it, they would improve the situation, but they're not going to. It's dogmatic insistence that we can't do that because of the climate, and uh, the climate is changing against them. A hurricane is out there coming for the Democrats. Now, to the phones we go. Michael, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program. Hey there. Uh, nice talking to you, Eric, and I'll listen to you a lot. Um, I've experienced uh, installing uh, security and access controls for large corporations. I used to live up in Washington area. DC, but I'm retired now in Georgia. Uh, one of the items we used to give uh, the blacksmith at the door was, can I mention the manufacturer name? 
Sure. Okay, uh, it's called Lanier. And for about $100 a piece, maybe a little less in bulk, um, you get a little panic button that you keep in your pocket, very similar to the uh, what elderly people have around their neck and, um, and, help, and assisted living facilities. And when you press it, it would set off an alarm back at Central and bring up the camera at that particular location. And they could make a choice to um, actually lock the double. Usually most of the lobby entrances were double doors. So if they were worried about anything, they'd leave the outer door unlocked, but the inner door had an intercom system so that um, you come through the first door and you ask to come in and state why you want to come in and they won't unlock the inner door until the outer door is locked. Mm -hmm. Of course, for safety reasons, if a fire alarm goes off, all doors are unlocked. Um, These are things, you know, uh, just the button, like I say, you're about $100 a yeah, you know, Michael, the Republicans put forward a plan uh, in Congress. It was about $4 billion that they proposed spending to actually put these sorts of devices in every school in the country and also uh, put in uh, double door areas, redesign lobbies for schools, doing all the school safety stuff that makes sense. And the Democrats blocked it uh, because they wanted gun control. They wanted the Republicans to go along with restricting guns in addition to in exchange for improving school safety. The Republicans weren't going to go along with gun safety. So the Democrats flat out refused to pass pass a plan that would have put in security doors and, and improved situations in schools. It's just absolutely bizarre that they tried to hold the one hostage for the other. Blade, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hey, good to talk to you, Eric. Uh, simple question if the gentleman was outside shooting the gun for 10 to 12 minutes they failed to lock the outdoor or outside doors where what was how did he gain access to that classroom that took the police 40 or 50 minutes or whatever it was to get through that still reinforced door so um he he didn't go through the front door of the school like early reports said he actually went through the back door of the school but the back door was unlocked and he was able to just open the door and go inside. Uh, he got into a classroom, and the classroom had two classrooms combined through a shared internal door, apparently. And so he was able to get in there, fortify his position, and start killing the kids. And the police waited for an hour to go inside. They, they were able to get into the school very quickly. In fact, the new timeline suggests they were inside the school in a matter of minutes and then waited an hour to go into the classroom. Uh, absolutely a dereliction of duty on their part. Uh, just just shameful. Clayton, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hey, uh, I was, a little hypothetical question for you. Um, I was thinking if, if the Kent State shooting was to happen today, how would it be reported in comparison to how it was reported, um, you know, in the, in the 60s? Um, and the reason I ask that is because uh, I place a large part of the blame uh, for the you know the political divides in this country on media and how they skew facts and and you know opinion is taken as that. So uh, I was kind of wondering how you think it would be reported today versus 
how it was. Oh, I, you know, I actually think that um, a lot of it would be reported the same. Now, Kent State was the the shooting. There were four wo- uh, four killed, nine wounded. Um, they were all unarmed. The Ohio National Guard opened fire on them uh, south of Cleveland. It was a Vietnam War protest, and the National Guard fired uh, something like sixty-seven rounds. Uh, four of them killed. Hang on a second. Let me let me get the yeah. Um, Allison Krause, Jeffrey Miller, Sandra Schuer died at the scene. William Schroeder dead at the hospital. Nine others injured. Um, the media actually uh, went after the National Guard pretty aggressively at the time. Uh, they 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 attacked at the time the National Guard. Uh, if if that's the school shooting you're talking about, that's that's the Kent State one. Now there there was there were school shootings out there at the time, but this is the one at, at Kent State. Uh, and the media went after the National Guard. Uh, and they probably would do so even more aggressively now and want to defund the National Guard and and shut the National Guard down. Uh, the media has totally bought into the defund the police thing. Well, up in, until it flipped in the polling and started hurting the Democrats. Gary, you're up next. Welcome to the program. Good afternoon, sir. Uh, 2019, the last year the figures were reported to the CDC, there were over 650,000 abortions in the United States, uh, not including California and Delaware. Uh, Seems mighty uh, hypocritical that we don't discuss 650,000 Democrat-endorsed children murders, but we want to amend a real constitutional right to limit people's access to self-defense. Just curious your opinion about the hypocrisy involved. Gary, I, I, I could put you behind my microphone right now and people wouldn't know the difference other than the accents because I I say this and I agree with you. It's, it's remarkable that we actually have a constitutional right that anyone in the world can pull out our constitution and find and the media wants to take it away. And there's another supposed constitutional right that no one in the world can find in the Constitution. Invented right. Invented, conjured out of the penumbras of, of the, the, the butthole of the Constitution. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't say it that way. Uh, Charlie will get mad at me. Uh, but I, I mean, the, so the pen- I agree. Yeah, okay, so let me let me say, what is the penumbra? All right, when you look at the, the, the Ninth Amendment says there are other rights in the Constitution. They talk about the penumbra. If you see the rays of light from the sun, you see how people draw the sun and they make those those lines. Well, in the penumbra is is the area between those bright rays. There's still rays of light there. They're just they're overshadowed by the bright rays of of the first eight amendments. But they claim there are rights there, and judges pull rights out of the penumbra, um, uh, the penumbra out of the backside of the Constitution. Put it to you that way, uh, the dark recesses of the Constitution. They claim there are rights, and they claim that there's an abortion right in there. No one ever found. And you can't find it. I can't find it. They can't find it, but they claim that it's there. And all the Supreme Court is doing with this Dobbs decision, if we're led to believe the, the final opinion is as advertised, is saying, you know, if you can't find it there and I can't find it there, then it's got to be left with the states. And people are losing their mind over that. And and yet here we have a the Second Amendment of the Constitution with a clear history of individual gun ownership rights in the country and a Constitution and a Supreme Court that say so. And they want to curtail that and yet let loose the imaginary right. Marty, you're going to be the last caller of the day. Welcome. Hey, how you doing, Eric? Good. Hey, my question is, after the, tw- after the midterm elections, 
what's going to happen? What can the Republicans change about what Biden has done so far that's going to make anything better? Uh, they can restrain more than they can do anything. They may be able to curtail spending. Uh, they can pass a budget. They'll probably have to fight him through a government shutdown to make it happen. They can do that. You know, we got sequestration when the Republicans controlled Congress and Obama controlled the White House, and that actually helped a ton in cutting real-world spending and reducing the debt and the deficit. But really what they're going to do is, is the power of investigation. They're going to haul in uh, the Secretary of State, the Secretary of Defense. They're going to find out what really happened in Afghanistan. They're going to haul in the Energy Secretary and demand to know why they're obstructing uh, drilling. You know, the Energy Secretary is famous for saying, oh, we have all of these leases, unused leases, except ignoring the fact that there's so much regulation in place. They're refusing to actually allow those leases to be used. We, We got lots of options there. For the Republicans, I suspect what's going to happen is we're going to see a massive wave of of retirements and resignations from the Biden administration as they refuse to want to be called up to Congress and have to answer the tough questions. Good. Get rid of all of them. Um, What I'm interested in is, does Joe Biden step down early? I've never wanted to think that. But at this point, his polling is so bad. He's so bad at the job. He's just not good at the things that even the people who didn't vote for him expected him to be good at. Does he finally say, you know what? I beat Trump. I stopped him to keep him gone. There's got to be somebody else over to you, Kamala. Now, Kamala is the real poop show in the White House, but let's acknowledge there's a poop show happening in the White House right now. And if there's a poop show happening in the White House, you might as well hand it to the woman who is herself a poop show and and let her deal with the situation and, and, and move on because... I mean, my goodness gracious, uh, Kamala at this point, really, I have a hard time believing could actually make things worse. And now, Deep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. than Biden? At this point, starting to wonder. Given all of this, I mean, the record high inflation we've got right now, the interest rate hikes, increasing gas prices, you may want to reach out to my friends at GoldCo and see if they can help you with your retirement. I mean, the markets are tanking today. It's not good. If you got $50,000 or more in your IRA, your 401k, or any other retirement savings, your money could be at risk and you don't have a lot of options but you might be able to protect your money and the ebbs and flows of the market and the like with physical gold and silver. You can call Gold Co. at 855-904-5933. You'll get a free wealth protection kit to learn how to use gold and silver to protect and grow your money. Thousands of retirees are protecting their retirement savings. Many are getting $10,000 or more in free silver for doing it. Call my friends at Gold Co., 
855-904-5933. Find out how you qualify for their special offer. They've been helping thousands of Americans protect their retirement against inflation and stock market crashes. They might be able to help you. Listen, just call Gold Co. and get their free wealth protection kit to learn how to use gold and silver in your retirement portfolio. Instead of giving you the number again, let me give you my name, Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Text that to 33777, and I'll send you back their toll-free number. Call them, see if they're a good fit for you. Text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. Well, you know, I'm I'm intrigued. There's an uh, op-ed in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and I buckle up folks for this uh there's a education column and the columnist more often than not hands her column over to progressives as she has handed her column over uh, the columnist to two university of georgia researchers stephanie jones is a josiah miggs distinguished teaching professor at the university of georgia who teaches in early college of mary francis early college of education in the institute for women's studies that should tell you all you need to know right there the woman has no sense of humor and wears comfortable shoes. A doctoral student at the University of Georgia Department of Educational Theory and Practice with an emphasis in early childhood education, Dylan Brody, is a veteran preschool educator. Preschool educator. And uh, they argue in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that uh, young children need to be taught about gender and sexuality. They, They... they, man, you know, I, I, I have avoided trying to just say groomer, groomer, groomer everywhere, but good Lord, a crisis has been created in our country with more than 200 anti-transgender bills passed in 2022 and bills prohibiting educators from discussing issues of gender or sexuality in the classroom. Silencing topics around the body can have devastating effects on children, youth, and our society. Teaching abstinence-only sex education, for example, produces well-documented negative outcomes. And ignoring how gender is used to control, intimidate, and violate people perpetuates a society where gender-based forms of abuse are deemed acceptable. These actions also limit opportunities to explore and express joy, acceptance, and well-being in our bodies. Holy moly, Um, essentially advocation for, I mean, teaching all about transgenderism to preschoolers. Goodness gracious. They first said this stuff didn't happen, and you were a liar if you said it happened, and now they're very open that we need to do it, and you're a bigot if you don't want it to happen. Um, Just absolutely bizarre. You guys enjoy your weekend with these deep thoughts. I'll see you all Monday.